In today's society, the way society looks at love and the way that the church looks at love, two different things. How many here watch The Bachelor? Don't raise your hand if you do. You don't want people to know that. The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. Has anybody ever watched um, Married at First Sight? I don't even understand that show. I mean, to me, that's terrifying. But we have made love, or more so marriage, a contractual thing. It's a contract between two people. The problem with making a, a contractual thing is that you can end it just as easily as you started. And I think in our society, we see that that happens quite often. The divorce rate today is right around 40% in the United States. Any idea what it is amongst church-going people? 25%. 25% of people who attend church get divorced in today's society. That doesn't make any sense. Unless we're trying to live a love out the way the world tells us to live. Any idea what percentage of pastors get divorced? 25%. The same as their members. And you say, well, that's shocking. I can't understand that a pastor would actually get divorced. Pastors are just human like everybody else. And in reality, when we start to trust society to tell us what love looks like, we can easily get off track. So what does following God's example of love look like? So I thought about my relationship and what it took to win my wife over, and it took a lot to do that. The first thing we do is, especially men, women do this too. It's a billion-dollar industry. We have to look a certain way, right, when we go out, when we're trying to find that special someone how many of you in here put perfume on, cologne, put on your best clothes? If you grew up in the 80s, there was only one cologne for men, polo green. I call it polo green. Back then, I think polo only had one, one fragrance, and that was green. It was like $60 a bottle back then, but finding a woman was important, and I was told that I need polo to make that happen. Number two, guest jeans. Anybody here own a pair of guest jeans? How many of you pegged them at the bottom? Yeah, I had to peg them at the bottom. I used to wear a bum sweatshirt. Kids today wouldn't even know what that is. But it was a company that made sweatshirts and shirts. I literally wore mine every day because it was the only one I could afford. I couldn't afford more than one bum sweatshirt. So I had one pair of guest jeans, one bum sweatshirt, and one bottle of cologne. And when I wanted to go out and I wanted to look for a lady... That was what I put on. We're told that we have to look or smell or behave in a certain manner. For me, where I grew up, you had to act tough. You had to put on a persona that, that said, I'm a man. Well, animals are no different. In the animal kingdom, I think we have some pictures here. You have the peacock. Should have a picture of a peacock. There we go. When a peacock is trying to find a mate, they impressively fluff their feathers out as big as they can and they walk around and they strut with their chest open. This is by God's design that they walk around and they show off who they are. The next animal, the bowerbird, this one here is impressive. This is a bird that really knows how to impress a lady. They don't just make a nest, they decorate it. 
They put flowers around it. They make it look attractive. Again, none of this is by accident. It's all by design. God designed this bowerbird to attract its mate by creating a suitable home that is beautifully decorated. Sound familiar? So let's look and see what God says about how impressive he is. And we're going to look and we're going to turn to Romans 1, 18, 21. If you think showing off or showing who you are or being impressive is just a vain thing, it's not. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of human beings who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What he's saying here is there is no excuse for not knowing who he is. It's been revealed through nature. Now if you would turn to Psalms 19. Psalms 19, 1 through 6. For the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. They have no speech, they have no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent from the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heaven, it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. One of the Greatest places to find God, I believe, is outdoors in nature. We have some pictures of God's beautiful design. It's hard to look at this mountain scene. It's hard to look at an ocean. It's hard to look at anything that God has created and not believe that there is a creator. How can you look at these pictures and ever think that this was all just by accident? This is the one that amazes me. I can't even, I can't even comprehend space. Space is something that just doesn't make sense to me. Why? I've never been there. But what is created is so beautiful and so awe-inspiring, you have to ask, why? Why did God create all these things? Who did he create them for? He created them for us. So that we would be constantly reminded of his love for us. Do we really need that in our lives? We don't need it. But God's blessed us with it to remind us that he loves us, to remind us of his power and his beauty and that he is pursuing us with all his creation. It's difficult to look at that and not think that he's pursuing us. So yeah, it's biblical. God is showing us that we can pursue, but I believe we have to pursue with the right things. And let me tell you what I'm, I'm thinking about that. I told you I used to get dressed up and I'd wear cologne. 
I don't really think that's what a woman's looking for. I don't really think that's what a man's looking for. What we're really looking for is someone that we can relate to, someone that we can talk to, someone that we have an interest with, someone that we can pursue. And so when we find that person, and and I'll tell you for me, I started praying to God that he would introduce me to a godly woman. I had been living in dark times and and I come out of that, and the first thing I did was I started praying that God would find a godly woman that I could meet. And I'll get back to that more later, but when I found God, my perception of how to look for a woman had changed. I went from trying to impress her with the way I looked and the way I acted to just trying to find someone who could love God the way that I loved God. Someone that I could share my faith with. When I found God, my attitude of love changed. It had developed into something bigger, something stronger. So, how many of you remember the first time you ever liked somebody? What did we used to do when we liked someone in elementary school? We would write a note on there, and we would ask them to what? Check yes or no to the question of, do you like me? Now, I've got to tell you, that's pretty big for an elementary kid to write this note because there's a lot of rejection that could go with this note, right? You're putting yourself out there. Now, I remember in third grade, I wrote my first note. I didn't put maybe. I wanted the hard answer. No maybe. It was a yes or no. And I remember I passed it off to one of her friends to give to her. And I wanted to know, did she like me? proud to say she said yes, but it could have been a no. Like I put myself out there for rejection. I'm not even sure if I really understood what rejection was, but I guarantee if a no would have come back, I would have felt rejection. But we have to at some point put ourselves out there and say, I'm going to approach this person because I think this person is somebody that I could get along with, someone that I could communicate with, someone I have something in common with. Now, maybe not on a on a third grade level, although I got to admit I was still writing those in high school, I was too chicken to ask face to face, but at some point we want to know, is this person the one for us? Could this person be the right one? Well, God also wants to make it clear that he is pursuing you. See, just like us, we try to find a mate that we, can, that, we can, that we can find, that we can impress, or maybe that we can have something in common with. And then once we do that, we have to pursue them. What good is it if my wife knew that I liked her, but I never approached her? I never asked her out. I never said anything. It wouldn't have been any good at all. I had to eventually take the step and see if she would go out with me. That's what we have to do. We have to put ourselves out there. And God does the same thing with us. He's showing us that he is pursuing us. Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, the Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? So from the beginning in Genesis... God has been pursuing us. 
asking where we are. Now, he knew where they were, but he's letting them know that I'm looking for you. We're supposed to be in a relationship. Don't hide from me. That's what God does. God pursues us. Let's go to John chapter 6, verses 44. Stop grumbling amongst yourself, Jesus answered. No one, and that's no one, can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. So God's telling us right here, Jesus is telling us that God pursues us. He draws us to him. How's he do that? Through his Holy Spirit. He draws us to him. He's calling out. How many have ever felt the tug of God calling on them, drawing at them? That's what he does. He's pursuing you constantly, letting you know that he loves you. And then finally go to Luke 15, verses 3 through 7. Then Jesus told this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep he, and he, until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents there's over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. God cares about each and every one of us as individuals. He pursues us. He looks for us. He cries out to us. He has developed everything and created everything that we see in relation to drawing us to him. See, that's what a godly love looks like. That's pursuing somebody for the benefit of loving them. Not for what you can get, but just for the, the sake of loving them. When I met my wife, I didn't, I didn't give her things or pursue her in return of what she could give me. I pursued her and loved her and gave her myself just as, just as a matter of love. See, the world will tell you that love is made of two things or that relationships are made of two things and that is what can you give and what can you get in return? That's not how love works. Love isn't a give and take relationship. Love is a give and a receive relationship. And you say, what's the difference between taking and receiving? I don't take anything from my wife. I receive what she gives me. I don't take anything from God. I take what God has given me and I receive it. I can't take anything from him. I have to wait until he offers it, and then I receive it. That's the way our relationship should be with our spouse or some that we love. We shouldn't constantly be looking to what we can get from that. That's not how it works. I should give simply because I love and let her receive that. Now, I said I would talk a little bit about our, our love story when we first met, we met on a blind date. And I tell people it was only a 50-50 blind date because in reality, she had already seen me. I didn't know this. But we were set up by some of my wrestlers 
back uh, in 1992. They said I needed a woman, and they were going to find me one. And so one of my wrestlers came in and said, my, my girlfriend has a sister, and she said she's all up for meeting you. And I said, okay, I'll meet her. They said, well, she's going to come to the wrestling match, and you'll meet there. So the wrestling match came on that Wednesday, and then it was over, and nobody showed up. I didn't think anything about it. I thought, well, she just didn't want to come. So the next day at practice, he said, oh, man, I'm sorry she couldn't make it, something come up. But she said she's coming to the next one. Okay, that's fine. The next wrestle match came around, still nothing. And I thought, well, she can forget this. That's two times now she was supposed to meet me and she didn't show up. Next day at practice, he said, okay, it's all set up. I said, what's set up? She said she'll go out with you. Well, I thought we were supposed to meet. He said, well, you kind of did. She was there. I said, she was at the wrestling match. Yeah, she told me not to tell you because she wanted to see what you looked like before she said yes. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I didn't get to see her. He says, well, is that really important? He must have thought I was desperate. And I said, you know, I said, that's fine. I said, when does she want to go out? And so we set up a date to go to the the boys basketball tournament uh, from the high school. Now, I had never been on a blind date. But I'm also not really shy, so really wasn't a stretch for me to show up and hope that a girl showed up. So we met at the high school, and I'm telling you that when she got out of the car, I knew it was her right from the start, and I had thanked God for what he sent me. I knew at that moment, and we've had this conversation a lot over the years, I knew that she was the one I was going to marry. How? I I don't know. God's spirit, God letting me know. I don't know. I just knew she was the one. And I had this beat up old car. It was a, I think it was a Pinto. It was a, it was a train wreck. And she drove up in a brand new Honda Civic. And she said, hey, you want to take my car? I said, absolutely, we'll take your car. And she said, do you want to drive? And I said, yeah, I'll drive. And she sat and she talked to me the whole way to the game. If anybody knows my wife, she does not talk. She's quiet. She doesn't say hardly anything. And she talked my ear off. The whole, I don't even know if I said anything. She talked to me the whole time. So that night, we went back to, I dropped her off. Well, she <laughs> technically dropped me off to my car. And I drove back to my dorms. And I remember I walked in and none of my guys on my dorm floor were there. So I just started playing video games. And when they showed up, I said, guys, you're not going to believe this but I met the girl that I'm going to marry. They immediately thought I was back on drugs. They said, you met her once. And I said, look, I'm not on anything. I'm telling you, like God has sent me the woman I'm going to marry. Once we went out on a few more dates, she revealed to me that she had went home to her roommate and said, I met the man I'm going to marry. As we got further in our relationship, I said, you know, I got to tell you something. In February, I had started praying. When my life changed, I realized what I'm searching for and what I'm looking for changed. And I started praying that God would send me a godly woman that I could love and that I could do ministry with. And she said, what day? And I said, why? She said, I started praying in February that God would send me a godly man that would treat me right, that I could love and do ministry with.
That is a marker in our life as we look back on it. We know that God has blessed our marriage and blessed who we are because he created that relationship. It's built on scripture. It's built on prayer. It's a foundation not built on what the world tells us to build it on, but built on what scripture tells us to build it on. We started our relationship out in prayer, seeking one another. We met in February. We got engaged in July. And we got married in November. And that was 29 years ago. I, th if you, I think if you do the math right, 29 years ago. And we've been mostly happy all those 29 years. And I say mostly because here's what happens. The love that we created that was godly, that was done in prayer, we sometimes forget to continue living that. And we allow the world to tell us what love should look like. And so we've had our ups and downs, not because we don't love each other, but because we've lost our focus on what God has created and tried to go with what the world has told us to create. How do we avoid divorce? How do we avoid looking like, avoid looking like the rest of the world? We have to have a different kind of love. A love that's built off of Christ, built off of God, built off of Scripture. Not off what reality television tells us. My goodness, reality television isn't even real. And yet people buy what they're selling every day. And it's a shame. I just don't understand. I don't understand why people don't really see what God is and what God wants for us. When we, probably our 22nd anniversary, I think it was, I thought I would do something special. If you know my wife, we're not big on holidays. We're not big on birthdays. Like, we said happy Valentine's to, to each other today. I don't even know if we do that every Valentine's Day. That's not, it's just not something we, we celebrate. It's not big in our life. But I think on our 22nd anniversary, I thought, you know, I want to do something special. And so I wrote a book for her on our love story. And it was titled Our Love Story. And it started with the first date, the blind date. I went into detail about everything that night. And every day I wrote another chapter. And the last chapter ended with the day we got married. Now that was a romantic gesture on my part. I'm, I'm a romantic person. I've seen Notebook about 3,000 times. That doesn't make me less of a man. I cry, who cares? I, I love a love story. And I wrote it for her. But I wrote it just so that we can always look back and remember what God has given us. You want to know what God's love story is? It's right here. From Genesis to Revelation, he has written us a love story that we can pick up and go read every day on how he has forgiven us and loved us and forgiven us and loved us. No matter what we do, he continues to love us. He continues to be with us from Genesis to Revelation. You want to know what God thinks about you? You want to know how God loves you? Pick this up and read it because God has made it very clear that he wants to be in a relationship. He has made it very clear that he loves us and he's given us roles, not because he doesn't like us. He's given us roles so that we can live to the fullest of what he's given us. And it's all right here in scripture. So we go through and we date. We find somebody, we date them. What comes next? 
we marry him, right? I proposed, asked her to marry me. To my surprise, she said yes. Um, I think I, yeah, that's actually me. Uh, I couldn't even grow a mustache then. That's how young I was. I, was. I wasn't even 21 yet. I should have shaved that thing off. But I knew she was the one for me, and I proposed, and I asked her to marry me. And she said yes. And I have a picture. There we go. I knew I wanted to get married until she turned the corner coming down the aisle. And my dad looked at me, who was performing the sermon, and said, last chance, do you want to run? And my knees locked. <laughs> I almost wanted to, but I couldn't. Not because I didn't love her, but it got real at that point. Like she turned the corner and she's coming down the aisle. This is it. Because see, I understood something. When you get married, it's not a contract. It's designed by God and it's, and it's forever. This is it. And so we got married and we have beautiful children, grandchildren, and our love is as strong today as it was then. So what's the equivalent of that in scripture to getting married? Turn to John 3.16. You probably don't even need to turn to this. You know it. You can probably read it. For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I gave her a ring when I wanted to marry her. When I wanted to make a commitment, I gave her a ring. God said to us at that point, Jew and Gentile, I love you. I'm sending you a bridegroom. That was his ring to us. That was his commitment to us, saying, I love you. I'm entering in a relationship with you. All you have to do is say yes. Going down to verses 27 and 27 through 30. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends to the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine and it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. I talked about giving and receiving earlier. A person can only receive what has been given. God has given us Christ for us to receive. He is the bridegroom to the bride, which is us, the church. One of the ways to live out your love and I think the only way to live it out is through Scripture. To be like Christ. To do the things that God has done to love and attract us. Because if we try to do it the way the world does it, we're going to fail every time. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart. Above all else, he says, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. 
You know, recently we've seen on the news a pastor who, who many revered and loved, and, and now some things are coming out that are not so positive. And it happens more than we want to admit within the church. And I tell people all the time that it happens for one specific reason. We quit guarding our heart. And we allow things to come into our heart that we shouldn't. You know, I used to tell people, you know, we talk about the difficulties of, of marriage and, and how it's even more difficult on, on Christians because we're conflicted between living within the church and living, you know, within the world. And, and you know, how easy it is to, to have extramarital affairs. And, and one guy told me, he said, you know, that'll never happen to me. I can guarantee it. He said, I would never do that. And I said, that's what scares me. The person who is so conceited to think that they couldn't sin against God, they've chosen not to put up any safeguards in their life. And that's how that stuff happens. Do you want to know how you live a godly life, how you, how you keep sin from invading your heart? You guard it, just like Scripture says in Proverbs. One of the things we're going to do here at the end is we're going to ask all the couples to come up. And we're going to pray over you. Actually... Frank and Suzanne are going to pray over you. Because I'm not foolish enough to think that every marriage is perfect. Probably not every marriage here is perfect. We always need brothers and sisters praying for us, that we can guard our hearts, that we can learn to love the way that Christ loves. Sometimes we take for granted the people that are across from us. You ever wonder why it is that sometimes we treat the people in our own home worse than we treat a guest when they come by? We just take them for granted. We shouldn't. If this past year has taught us anything, we should never take anything for granted. And so, as we come up and, and, and we have some music playing, we're going to invite all the couples to come up so we can pray for you, that we can safeguard your hearts, that, that you can continue to thrive within your marriage. I don't care if you've been married a, a year if you've been married 50 years, we always need prayer. We should cover everything we do in our lives with prayer because none of us can do this without help. None of us can do this without God's love, without Christ's salvation. And so as we prepare, I would ask that all couples will come up and Frank and Suzanne are going to pray over every one of you individually because I think that's important to do right now. believers we gotta have we have a love of another kind and and that starts in the home um and if you're if you're watching online i know some of you are whether you're watching now or watching later uh we want to include you in this uh, in this time of prayer and um on this valentine's we love each other right but that love is only going to be stronger as we draw nearer to the lord and none of your marriages are perfect, just like our marriage is not perfect. But even through our imperfections, because of the love of Christ within us, then, then we uh, can be stronger. 
and he makes it perfect in his eyes. And so um, let's have a time of uh, prayer. You, you guys online, join us as well. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you. And Father, you have shown us that perfect love of sending your son Jesus. And so, Father, we, we need that love. We need that love, that power in, in our marriages, and our life. And uh, Lord, um, as couples, Lord, we're, we're sinners saved by grace. But, but we are sinners. And, and uh, we are all sinners in need of a Savior every day of our life. Not a Savior just as a one-time prayer, but a Savior every day to walk with us. And so, Father, we ask you, Lord, that you encourage us to invite you into our day, to invite you into our conversations. Lord, before we, before we want to speak and, and speak our mind, Lord, let us go to you and, and to understand what, what you want us to say. Let us get your heart, Father. Before we do something for ourselves, Lord, let us do something for the, the other spouse. And Lord, let us love through you. I pray, Father, that as, as we um, draw closer to you, you bring us closer to one another. I pray, Lord, for all of these couples, whether they're standing right here or, or they're watching online, I pray, Father, for your power, your move in their life. I pray, Father, that the enemy does not have a, a, a foothold, a stronghold on their marriage. Father, marriage is designed by you, and it's something that you, you created with, along with creation. And so, Father, we ask you, Lord, that you protect it. Help us, Lord, to, to draw near to you as we draw near to one another. And help us, Lord Jesus, not to live on our own, but live with Jesus right beside us, right in between us, in every part of our conversations and our dealings with our families and our finances, our jobs, our emotions. Lord, let us put you first. And then... Let us walk in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.